Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Keeping the word. In our passage this morning, we see how the life of John the Baptist came to an end. John was an exceptional man, and he was a fairly close relative of Jesus as well. He was Jesus' cousin. The Gospel of Luke gives us the most information about John, his family lineage, the miracle of his birth, and how he was raised. John was the son of Zechariah, a priest of the line of Aaron, and he was also the, the son of Elizabeth, a relative of Mary, Jesus' mother. Elizabeth was getting on in years and had no children, which was a very embarrassing situation for her in this culture. And then one day, while Zechariah was serving in the temple, he encountered the angel Gabriel, who told him his wife would conceive, and when the child was born, he was to be named John. And this was an unusual name choice, since nobody in Zechariah's family was named John. Zechariah didn't believe Gabriel at first, because he and his wife were older, so the angel made him mute. He was unable to speak until the child was born, and he was asked to confirm the child's name, that it was supposed to be John. When he affirmed that his son was to be named John, he was suddenly able to speak. John grew up accustomed to living in the wilderness, and later developed a following who knew him as a teacher and a prophet. As a teacher, he proclaimed the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins, declaring, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Many out of who came out of the wilderness to see him, and he would challenge them to acknowledge their sin and turn toward a life of holiness. Through the ritual of baptism, John encouraged people to give up their sinful ways and move forward in holiness with the understanding that God would forgive them. As a prophet, he proclaimed his understanding of the word of God to everyone he met including the elite and the powerful. He was not afraid to publicly call out anyone who was failing to live in holiness. He called even the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, a, quote, brood of vipers when they came out to see him, because he saw them as men who were expecting religious privilege without bearing the fruits of kindness and compassion. He even publicly declared that the king, Herod, was living in sin because Herod has taken his sister-in-law as his own wife. And these kinds of public challenges are what prophets were known for, but they usually paid a heavy price for this brutal honesty. As the scriptures morning, as this morning's scripture tells us, John's condemnation of Herod is what led to his arrest. Herod, also known as Herod Antipas was one of the four children of Herod the Great. We know Herod the Great from the story of Jesus' birth, where he ordered the execution of all male children two years and younger in and around Bethlehem in an attempt to kill Jesus, who he saw as a threat. When Herod the Great died, his kingdom was divided between four of his children, and Herod Antipas was given the region of Galilee, 
Herod Antipas had seen how his father successfully maintained control of his kingdom, and he also witnessed how one of his brothers, Archelaus, lost his reign. Archelaus fell out of favor with the Roman emperor Augustus, who took direct control of that territory that Archelaus was supposed to rule, the Judean province. So Herod knew how to operate as a ruler of a Jewish community in the first century, and he was aware of the consequences of making mistakes. In this morning's passage, we see how he paints himself into a corner by letting his daughter choose a gift for herself. When she asks for the execution of John the Baptist on the advice of her mother, Herod is, quote, deeply grieved. He knew John the Baptist was a prophet. John's confrontation with Herod for his failure to obey the Jewish law was what prophets do. They speak truth to power. Herod had previously protected John from the girl's mother because he knew John was the holy man. Scripture even told us that Herod feared John. But now Herod is faced with a dilemma. Continue to protect John from Herodias, which might make it appear that he is weak, perhaps even implying that John is more powerful than him, or demonstrate his power by having John executed, knowing in his heart that this he is committing an egregious sin. Well, Herod chooses the path that secures his personal social status at the cost of the life of John the Baptist. Now, 2,000 years later, we see this as clearly a catalyst disregard for human life, not to mention a tragic death of the man Jesus considered the greatest man born to woman. But as Herod, as bad as Herod was, I think we can sympathize with the situation of being placed in a dilemma where we must make a difficult choice between a promise we made and a sense of doing what is right. For example, in the emotionally charged moment of being present while a loved one is dying, we may make a promise that later seems too difficult to fulfill. This happened to one of the co-founders of Methodism, John Wesley. His father was a priest in charge of an Anglican parish, and while on his deathbed, he earnestly asked John to take over the parish after he died. John reluctantly agreed, but he was later torn between this promise, this promise he made to his dying father, and his yearning to travel and develop spiritually. Six months after his father's death, Wesley accepted an invitation to serve as a priest in the American colonies. And it was during this journey to the province of Georgia that he encountered a group of Moravians who demonstrated a remarkably deep faith in spirituality. This experience played a significant role in the development of Wesley's personal theology and the practice of Methodism. For Wesley, his decision to leave the parish turned out pretty well for himself and for the Methodist movement. But in that moment, when he had to choose between a promise made to his dying father and a yearning to follow his call, he had no way of knowing what the outcome would be. When faced with such a dilemma, what do we do? I think people face these kinds of challenges many times in their lives. 
Sometimes I think the answer is clear, as in the case of Herod. He clearly should have denied his daughter's request. Sometimes the answer is more difficult. For example, while serving or searching for a job, we may accept an offer, but only to receive a competing offer soon afterward that more closely matches our personal goals in life. Do we go back and decline the first offer, effectively breaking the promise to the first employer? Many of us would choose this path, but it may not be an easy decision. A much more complicated scenario that many of us experience is in marriage. When we marry someone, we make a promise to be a partner with that person for the rest of our lives. Yet there are circumstances that may merit reconsideration of that promise that would be clear, such as in the case of abuse. Marriage involves a sacred promise that should neither be taken lightly nor broken easily. And those who marry generally have every intention of keeping that promise. We admire those who keep their marriage vows for decades, demonstrating for us the depth of love that two people can share with each other over a lifetime. But sometimes, unforeseen circumstances arise, and the couple may decide their best course of action is to separate. Difficult life decisions like this require careful discernment. By prayerfully studying scripture, reflecting on the lessons of our faith tradition, considering our life experiences as well as the experiences of others, and using reason, we can seek a solution that follows a path that is faithful to Christ. This process of discernment using scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, commonly known as the Wesleyan Quadrilateral of the United Methodist Faith, is one way of opening us up to the work of the Holy Spirit, where we able, are able to look beyond the self-serving desires that may be clouding our way. We are sensitized to the tug on our hearts that pulls us toward love and compassion and alliances with the will of Christ. The direction we're guided towards by the Spirit may not be easy or comfortable, and it may not lead us to power or popularity, but it will ultimately bring us to a place of love and acceptance of ourselves and of those around us. Through the grace of Christ, we are forgiven for the mistakes that we may have made that put us in our limits, and we are able to experience Christ's presence as we actively search for the wisdom of the Spirit working in and around us. As the Son of God, Christ is able to clearly see us as we truly are, as well as where we've been and where we're going. Therefore, following Christ can help us avoid many of the traps that we fall into when we ignore Christ. As the Gospel of John tells us in the very first verses of the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Christ has been present from the beginning and will continue for eternity. As the source of light, 
Christ knows the path that leads to fulfillment. By seeking the guidance of the eternal word, we are more capable of discerning the right choice when confronting with the difficult dilemmas that trip us up. So the more, most important task for us is to keep the teachings of Christ, to keep the word. One thing we do to keep the teachings of Christ fresh in our mind is to remind ourselves of the covenant that we made with God in our baptism. The sacrament of baptism is the sign of the new covenant that Christ ushered in through his death and resurrection. Through baptism, we experience death to sin, newness of life, union with Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit, and incorporation into Christ's church, which is called to be a servant community. Although we may fall short at times in our part of the commitment, God does not. Therefore, there is no need to repeat our baptism, but we sometimes need to recall and reaffirm the commitments that we made in our baptism. Also, as our appreciation of the good news of Jesus Christ deepens and our commitment to Christ's service becomes more profound, we look forward to the occasions that celebrate our baptism through reaffirmation. Therefore, let us join together this morning in the reaffirmation of our, of our baptismal covenant. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and giving new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Through the reaffirmation of our faith, we renew the covenant declared at our baptism, acknowledge what God is doing for us, and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church with which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? According to the grace given to you, Will you remain faithful of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? Let us join together in professing the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father, Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? 
Spirit, and all the inhabitants of the earth, and the name of the saints, and the name of the saints, and the resurrection of God, and the honor of our classes. The Lord be with you. And also Let us pray. Eternal God, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth life. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the the land which you had promised. See? In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of the womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit, and by this gift of water, call to our remembrance the grace declared to us in our baptism. For you have washed away our sins, and you clothe us with righteousness throughout our lives, that dying and rising with Christ, we may share in his final victory. Remember your baptism and be faithful. Remember your baptism and be faithful. Remember your baptism and be faithful. Let us rejoice in the faithfulness of our covenant God. We give thanks for all our God has the God of all grace, who has called us to eternal glory in Christ. Establish and strengthen you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you may live in grace and peace. Amen.